everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Organist Encores. It's Mark Laughlin here at the microphone this week and I'm turning the tables on regular presenter Damon Cox who um, is kindly hosting me in his living room and is going to start off with a musical contribution on a pipe organ, this time the Worthing Wurlitzer. So tell us Damon what your musical contribution to start is. It's a, uh, an informal version of Richard Rogers' well-known composition The Ladies of Tramp and I should warn you that uh, it was done at an informal session. There was no plan to release this therefore the playing is not 100% note perfect and neither is the tuning but I hope that you'll find it fun. to start this week's show from a musical perspective and as I said already I'm sitting here with Damon in his living room and I thought it would be a really good idea to start the new year by having a good news story you know everything's a little bit grim in January so let's start the year in, in a positive way and I thought it was about time that somebody came and asked Damon a little bit more about the exciting project he's got going on at home. Some of you will have seen all the information on the website but for those of you that hasn't um, it's a good opportunity for him to describe and tell us what he's been busy doing over the last uh, few years and what's coming up. So Damon, tell us a little bit about this massive project you've got going on here and how it all came about. Well, I think like a lot of people, we all dream of having a pipe organ at home. Uh, I was one of those people, but never thought that uh, I would ever see the day that it would happen. 
how I came about to stand Art Horgan is all the fault of your dad, <laughs> Nigel Laughlin, who um, received an email from a guy named guy named Brian Hart, who was the son of Ricky Hart, who lived in Folkestone, and they were looking to rehome an organ which had previously been in a house. So I thought uh, it seemed a little bit... Uh, Dismissed the idea at first, um, but having seen a couple of the photos of the organ at Folkestone, I was uh, my appetite had been wet, so to speak. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about Ricky Hart and about how he came to have the instrument in his house. I think it was whilst he was in the RAF, he was an electronics engineer, maybe something to do with radar. Uh, and it was from that that he started to build his own electronic organs at home. First, he had a really small, I think it was something like two and a half octave instrument, which he built. And then he built a much bigger full two manual with pedal board. Uh, he knew the guys at Compton. He knew Leslie Bourne um, incredibly well. And uh, But his interest in the cinema organ went back to the very, very early days when um, the Astoria at uh, Folkestone opened and even before that when the Savoy opened. And I suppose it was that sort of boyhood memory of the organ coming up out of the floor uh, that led him to desire to have a pipe organ. Excellent. Well, whilst we're on the subject of electronics, it's time for me to make my first contribution to the show. And I'm going to do this via one of the wonderful um, Paramount virtual theatre organs uh, currently on the market. In this case, it's the Paramount 341 sample set. And the pieces I'm going to play for you in the programme tonight are all from the pen of British cinema organists. And this is the first. It's a lovely ballad featuring some of the solo stops on this sample set. And it's by Charles Smitten called In the Land of Let's Pretend. Thank you. 
Right. So um, you've been in touch, obviously, with the hearts. You've been down there. You've seen the instrument. You've told us a bit about how Ricky came to have this instrument. So I'm led to believe from the pictures that I've seen that it was a very ingenious and creative installation. So tell us a little bit about what you found and uh, how he had gone, come to install this instrument in what was, I gather, not a huge house. No, I, I don't think that there was a problem that Ricky Hart never overcame, no matter what it was. As daft as it might have been, he did it, um, including putting a pipe organ in a terraced house. It was a mid-terraced house, and um, I'd read several articles about how he ingeniously installed the pipework up in the loft area of the house and bought the sounds down through a series of microphones in the chambers and uh, a bank of speakers downstairs in the living room. Um, but that, the whole house, uh, it was a family-owned house from very early days, so, you know, the family had lived there all their lives, and over the years, various modifications, one of the biggest ones being the organ, but, uh, of course, there was the famous sliding wall. Um, <laughs> in the days of safety curtains in cinema, he decided that when separating the lounge from the dining room, that a pair of double doors wasn't enough, <laughs> and he installed a, a, a wall that actually disappeared up through the ceiling into part of the bedroom that was closed off. Um, so so that the house was really quite a wonderful experience. And as um, it has been said at the time, it was the most bodged house in Britain. <laughs> now, um, it wasn't also just pipes. So we've spoken a little about the, the electronics and, and his background in electronics. But it didn't sort of stop there, really, because there was a, a couple of very ingenious uh, solutions to sort of get the sound that he wanted out of the instrument. And there and there were some very ingenious electronics electronic um, devices. So again, can you tell us a bit about what you discovered? It started off um, when obviously he'd built the two manual electronic organ. He combined that with a pipe organ and moved all of the, the valve oscillators upstairs, the note generators. So there were 97 individual circuits <laughs> for the whole range, starting at 16 foot, working their way up right to the very top. Or could be tuned individually. I mean, these huge banks of uh, very vintage 1950, I think it was 1953 he built it, so um, complete with a 200-odd volt power supply, <laughs> which he built himself. Uh, and as time progressed, he wanted to add more and more in. Of course, the space to enlarge the organ physically with pipework was an, a big no. So he went down the electronic route. I think there were three keyboards involved. Um, and in the pre-MIDI days... He had a small, he was something like three or four octave Casio keyboard um, in the 80s and he converted, used the magnets from the original standout relay, electromagnets, to physically press the keys down and this could be found in the top of their wardrobe in the bedroom. <laughs> Brilliant. Well I think it's time for some more music and this time we're going to move um, into Damon's house and the installation as it currently stands. So the sounds that you're listening to come from the Masterworks 331 sample set, that's correct. Yep. And uh, Damon is going to play from us The Girl from Ipanema. Thank you. 
So the next stage of the project really is um, you've got this organ. Um, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> well, simple. Put it at home. <laughs> no, it might it might seem like a, a, a simple idea, and um, it's been really good fun doing it. Um, but it just it turned up at exactly the right time when we were um, moving into this place, or you know, we knew that the move was happening. Okay. Um, so it, it was an opportunity to acquire something that had already been um, messed around with in the sense that it wasn't an original instrument. Therefore, nothing I did to it, I could be criticised on. Yeah. Now, whilst we're on that subject, there are kind of... Um, it, it's really not just a tale of one standard organ, really. It's a tale of three standard organs. So perhaps you'd like to explain how the three sort of different instruments and components came together. Well, the console's from one standout, um, which came from the Netherlands, and I'm sure that that conversation will be brought up in a bit. Um, then we have some ranks uh, of pipes from the Savoy Folkestone, the Tibia and the Diapason. Um, some of the chests come from Folkestone. Um, nearly all of the regulators, all of the tremulants, all of the percussions, nearly all of those come from... Um, Folkestone. And the third standart involved is the Commodore Hammersmith, which was um, one of the other standart organs that was bought over in the late 20s. And I have the humongous five-rank chest <laughs> from that job. Excellent. Um, and in terms of the console, um, I mean, I have to say, it's such an elegant uh, and attractive console, which is sat here in your living room. For those people that have not seen the pictures, it's somewhat different to a word. It's a Compton or Christie console. Um, it's wonderfully Art Deco in its design and, and looks like it's designed to be here, really. Um, perhaps every house should have one. <laughs> but tell us a bit about how you ended up to have how how you ended up with this specific console, perhaps rather than the original um, console that was with well, I say original, the console that was with the instrument. You know, when I uh, when I got the for those of who saw the console that Ricky Hart built for various reasons the original console from Folkestone was in such a bad way um, it suffered a lot with woodworm and um, it was something that was was never going to survive in one piece um, and I hummed and ahed about do I you know reuse the the Ricky Hart console um, which was sort of based on a Compton Electrone in a lot of ways um, and over a period of time, I thought, now I should go to Holland and I should measure up a console over there. I had the sweet little organ in Dordrecht in the Electroplast factory in mind with its bright red finish <laughs> and thought that uh, I could do that, not necessarily that finish. And uh, I spoke to the very ably um, <coughs> minded John Abson, who was going to help me build this from scratch. Um, and I got in touch with the people in Holland and they said, yeah, come over and uh, measure it up. And time sort of elapsed and I got an email from a gentleman called Peter Copper, who I've got to know extremely well over the last year, um, said, we've got this in storage. Do you want it? Mm. With the only slight caveat that I'd have to go and get it. <laughs> So we did, and um, it was it was in an, an awful state actually, um, but it was all original and it was all there, and that was the most important thing. So me and James did um, Holland and back in a day on two overnight ferries <laughs> with a transit van, got successfully through customs and all the rest of it, um, and the console, I knocked it basically to bits to its component right. woods and glued a hell of a lot of it back together. Um, and I was adamant I wanted a patented finish, 
but now that it's up here, I quite like it in its bare wood. Earlier on, Damon mentioned that some of the pipes will be standing on the big five-rank chest from the organ that previously was in the Commodore Cinema in Hammersmith. And so um, our, our archive track this evening comes from that very instrument. So we're going to have a track, and I believe it's Harry Davidson. Is that right, Damon? That's correct. He was better known, I think, as a band leader mm. more than an organist, but in the early days he was at the Commodore. And uh, this is a track called Day by Day, and I'd like to once again thank uh, the wonderful archive of Wayne Ivany for supplying this track. ago we spoke about the console but uh, that's on my right hand side here in uh, Damon's living room 
But on the left-hand side is what looks like it's a utility room with a few added extras. Yes, the utility There wasn't enough space in the chamber for the lovely um, brass chimes, which were in a right state when we pulled them out of the house, but have I mean lovely polished up by a friend of James's, and uh, they look spectacular. Um, but everything else is behind the Abson patented mm. door. Um, we thought long and hard about whether or not we should have the access to the chamber from the other side, which was uh, on, on the external side of the garage. Um, but I, we thought the, the idea of why can't the organ chamber door also be the shutters? And uh, away John Abson went and practically came back with a perfect door. Absolutely, it looks fantastic. I think, apart from the console, it's my favourite piece of the organ. It's, it's really something. Do check out the pictures. Um, <clears throat> fantastic. And preparing an organ chamber isn't a straightforward exercise, is it? So um, it's not just a question of getting here, putting the organ in, and away you go. There's a lot of planning and foresight and getting the chamber ready to, to receive an instrument uh, like like this. So tell us about how you went about that process and what you've had to do to get to the stage that we're at now. I started off uh, with a, me in there with a tape measure, thinking um, we'll just put it there and it'll be fine. Um, and when, when I explained this to a couple of people, John Abson in particular, he said you might want to consider <laughs> um, measuring everything out and doing some drawings. So, um, although not on CAD, um, I did measure everything out and uh, it was a bit of an eye-opener in terms of what would work and what wouldn't work. Um, and there were several, I think in the end, there were 23 revisions of the layout. Okay. Uh, as, things, as more and more things came to mind, what about this? Uh, and there were lots of things which I'd forgotten about. And even now that the organ chamber is pretty much complete, there's still things which are slightly different. Um, so consider everything if you're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, you worked very quickly on this project. Um, a lot has happened in a very short space of time. Um, perhaps tell us why. It, it's scary to think that actually your dad taught me how to relever a motor I think less than a year ago. Mm. Uh, and I'd never relevered anything really before then. Um, so everything has been done in a very short space of time. That's because I've had no workshop. Mm. Uh, a lot of people have a space that they can go in and make mess. I have the living room or my office upstairs. Um, and <clears throat> some of the garage space as well. But uh, that quickly got taken up when the um, chamber itself had to be emptied to be built for the soundproofing to go up and the new floor to be put down and all the insulation. So the entire contents of the gap, everything you see in there was in the living room. So um, there was a lot of pressure to um, yes, I can, I'm sure, <laughs> yes. rectify that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I do check out all of the pictures um, that are on the website. There's links on the August Encore's website. Do check out the pictures because, you know, it's fantastic quality of workmanship. Um, which has happened so far and no doubt will happen for the rest of the project. So do have a look at it. It looks even better in, in real life, I have to say, than it does in the pictures. So uh, do go and have a look at those. I think it's time for a little bit more music. I think so. Okay, so the next contribution is me, and I'm this time sat here playing uh, this wonderful stand-up console, controlling the Masterworks uh, sample set. And this is the second piece uh, by a theatre organist. Uh, this one is by somebody that we don't hear of very often, uh, somebody called John Maiden. Hardly ever. And uh, this is John's delightful composition called The Windmill Waltz. Thank you. 
I should just say also at this point that um, the ranks that you can hear on this sample set are actually representative of the actual pipe ranks that are going to be in the instrument. And I think because of the nature of the space, there's a sort of fusion of, of pipe work and an electronic element, which I guess very much keeps Ricky Hart's um, sort of original ethos alive, perhaps in a more modern context. I'm, you know, I'm sure he'd be thrilled with, with what's going to happen. So I'm sort of intrigued to, to discover what you're going to have on the console and perhaps you can tell listeners um, a little bit about the pipe ranks and how they've come about being the specific ranks that you've currently got. Yes, so like Ricky Hart, although I have a slightly bigger chamber than he does, I do not have space or the luxury for um, big bass pipes that take up an awful lot of space and an awful lot of wind from what is a pretty small blower. So a lot of the, almost all of the 16 foots and nearly all of the 8 foots are um, going to be taken from the Masterwork sample set. Um, and indeed the voice of the well, it's a brass saxophone, which to my ears is the, if you're going to have a small organ, that's the reeds to go for. Um, n none of this clarinet malarque, because <laughs> a saxophone can be a clarinet. Uh, so that, that was one voice which I wanted. Um, the, the other voices, I, I had very much in, um, in my mind sort of, it's sort of what I would say Clapham Junction without an English horn, but with a Vox instead was the specification. Or something like Regent Street with a sax yeah. instead of a clarinet. So yeah. uh, that, that was sort of my thinking. So we're going to have a tuba or trumpet. Um, a Barbary trumpet has been offered to me, but I've also got the Corneopium Rich Ricky Hart had, which is a low-pressure read from Henry Jones. Uh, I'm going to have the standard tibia and diapason. I've got a pair of Christie strings, which came from the Elephant and Castle Theatre. And in a rather unusual twist, I have the Well, It's a Vox that for, from about 1983 was the second Vox on the South Bank oh, yeah. organ. So two, two instruments that were, you know, very close to each other geographically. Um, and then I also have a beautiful Christie open wooden flute, um, which John Abson very kindly let me have. Um, and combined with the original standard traps, the Glock and the Xylo, um, I will also be using the Masterworks sample set for a harp because unlike some people, I don't have space for a full-size harp in my <laughs> living room. <laughs> that narrows it down considerably in this country. Who you're talking about. <laughs> uh, a piano as well, although I do have space for a piano. The sample piano is extremely beautiful. And um, a vibraphone as well, which I want to have as a solo stop, much like the one at uh, Oakland. Fantastic. So in terms of the kind of relay as such, if we're using old old money mm -hmm. uh, terminology, how is the console? Because I know that you did a fair amount of work to piece the console uh, back together and, and put it, uh, restore it to the state that it's currently in. So how is that currently talking to at the moment, the computer, but what will be the computer and pipes? Yes, uh, buying a relay these days is is a bit of a minefield, actually, because mm. there's not a great deal of choice to go for, and I considered all of the options, um, and I asked uh, for quite a few quotes. But primarily, I was um, particularly pleased when I realised that every single stop that I wanted at every single pitch would fit beautifully into the horseshoe and exactly where I wanted it to go. So with that in mind, I thought I don't need a system that's going to be uh, have the luxury, shall we say, of having instantly changeable stop tabs. So I went for the Opus 2 um, system, which 
you can change stops on there quite freely and readily. But um, I wanted something that I could sit down, pull out the draw, go to number two or whatever or number three and, and just, just, just play or hit record <laughs> and, um, you know, not have to worry about anything else. Uh, and, and uh, you know, that was my... That's what that's the key factor. And uh, despite... Um, you know, some of the bad experiences that people in this country has happened uh, in the past. Uh, from my point of view, I plugged it in and it worked. And in less than a day, I had a working relay. Great. Well, I think it's time to hear some of those uh, combinations of ranks and stops that you spoke about. And another ballad, this time a nice, jazzy, lush ballad. So, Damon, what are you going to play for us? I'd like to credit Robin Richmond's left hand for this, um, <laughs> from one of those um, organ home books. Uh, that came out in the 70s. And this, this is loosely based on at least his harmonic progression, but it's a beautiful ballad called Stars Fell on Alabama. Thank you. 
it's nice to see Robin uh, waving at us from the console of the Gaumont Manchester up on the music stand there and the, from the book that you spoke about. Uh, thank you for that. And, it, and it's lovely to hear those uh, rich harmonies. So going forwards, there's still a fair bit to do on the project. So the chamber is looking, um, as I say, far more sort of full of organ parts than it was a few months ago. And a big speaker, I believe, as well. Yes, a, a huge 18-inch sub, um, which is about a metre and a half squared, um, which, despite its size and weight, DHL still <laughs> managed to lose. And it took about a week longer than it should have done to arrive. That, that was a bit of an afterthought. That was one of those moments where I thought, actually, if I don't get this in now, I'm never going to get it in <laughs> yes. or out. So um, Christ knows what will happen if the speaker blows up. <laughs> right. <laughs> In terms of what's left to do, the uh, biggest um, stumbling block at the moment is getting the blower wired in as far as the electrics go. Um, for various reasons, this has been set back. Um, but I'm hoping that by the end of February, that shall be done. After that, then the real fun begins, because uh, obviously putting all of it in there is sort of half the half the battle. Um, I still have to make it sound sound good and of course I've got pipe work from all the four winds and it's yes. going to need a lot of sorting out and I still have the console to finish there's some modifications to be done uh, to include a back rail and some trash trays and uh, my very good friend Carl Heslop who's doing wonderful things with another obscure or more obscure builder uh, and that's Conica's <laughs> up in um, Mountain Melbury he's doing the um, stop tabs for me um, which already look fantastic they do. You've shown me a couple of the prototypes and I can vouch for the fact that you know they're going to look brilliant when they're in the console. Now it's time for my final musical contribution of the programme. And this is a track I don't think I've ever heard before. Have you heard this on anything before? No, not, not a single broadcast. I'm sure it would have been broadcast at some point by the man who wrote it, but not, uh, not to my recollection. It's not cropped up so far. So... This is from the pen of Bobby Pagan, well-known to many, a well-known broadcasting organist. And this is a piece that he wrote called The Sailor's Samba.
there we go, the Sailor's Samba for the first time uh, over the modern airwaves as far as we can work out. Hope you enjoyed it. That may be the only recording of that song. <laughs> Excellent. So we're nothing if not unique. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, thank you, Damon, for inviting me um, here this evening. It's been wonderful to chat and play the organ and listen to recordings and, and all of the usual fun activities that uh, all of us sort of organ folk get up to. Um, and I'm sure everyone else will join me in wishing you all the very best for the challenges and excitement to come as the project takes shape. I can't wait to, to come and sort of play the finished article as much as a pipe organ is ever a finished yes. <laughs> article. But I can't wait to, for this. It's very exciting to see what's going to happen. And um, we wish you all the best for that. And uh, wishing all of our listeners the very best for the new year. This is my first contribution of the new year and I hope to be back um, over the coming months. John Leaning will be at the microphone next week and all that remains for me to say is enjoy the rest of the month. <laughs>